Support for this program is provided by Chevron, the human energy company. This is Politico Energy. I'm Catherine Morehouse. The war over corporate, environmental, social, and governance policies, also known as ESG, is expected to rage on in 2024. Voters are mostly indifferent to ESG policies, so don't expect to see them as much on the campaign trail this year. But, as Politico's Jordan Woolman reports, the issue will remain front and center on Capitol Hill, in state houses across the country, and in the courts. So today, we chat with Jordan about the ESG stakes for climate policies, politics, and more. It's Friday, January 5th. I'll say first off, you know, we're in a high drama campaign year, politically speaking, and we've gotten some good public polling, I would say, over the last few months that really do indicate that this issue is not really resonating with voters, that the backlash to ESG to Republicans have promoted isn't really polling well among voters. But with that being said, they're still continuing to press on. And so that's coming in the form of subpoenas, lawsuits, fundraising, spending. So Republicans are subpoenaing several of the high-profile asset managers that have come under fire for their ESG practices. There's lawsuits pending. There's sort of rumors floating that there could be a potential multi-state coalition of Republican attorneys general launching a lawsuit against the financial firms over antitrust concerns. Democrats are spending money to combat the backlash. So the issue is sort of poised to really heat up 2024. And you're reporting that this fight over ESG policies is expected to really take place on the Hill, in state houses, and in courts. So can you talk about Congress first and how this ESG fight will show up there in 2024? Absolutely. We have House Judiciary Chair Jim Jordan just last month issuing subpoenas against BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard as part of that panel's investigation into potential antitrust concerns with financial firms allegedly coordinating with one another to promote ESG and sustainability initiatives. Sort of harkening back a few months ago, all of a sudden ESG became the talk of the Hill when in July Republicans in the House held a so-called ESG month where they considered a slate of anti-ESG bills that eventually cleared committee and could wind up on the House floor this year, which could cause some drama if those bills pass the House, make it to the Senate where the Democrats have a slim majority And there are obviously a handful of more independent, centrist-minded Democrats among that slim majority. So, you know, ultimately, those bills wouldn't become law. They would be met with a veto, almost certainly. But at the same time, it could cause some sort of political hand-wringing on the Hill this year, in a year that's dominated by the presidential election in November. And at the state level, you're reporting that the anti-ESG movement had some success last year, but is now facing some internal resistance. Can you talk a bit more about that? There were a handful of deep red states last year, Mississippi, Kansas, Indiana, North Dakota, that really bucked this anti-ESG wave that has washed over so much of Republican strongholds. A good part of that is due to this heavy influence that we've seen among pension boards, state bankers associations that have really pushed back and hold influence still among Republican lawmakers in red states that said, hey, you know, these bills that are designed to sort of punish financial firms for considering climate risk and ESG really could do more harm than good. And we don't want to be getting involved in deciding what investments financial institutions should make and 
what sort of factors they consider and that this could actually, you know, really do more harm to taxpayers and retirees. So both in deep red state legislatures and then also at the ALEC group, American Legislative Exchange Council, they have not endorsed model policies that would sort of promote an anti-ESG sentiment. So at both of those levels, ALEC and in state, some state legislatures, we're seeing some Republican resistance. And you also reported that there's some potential legal action we could see in the ESG space. What might we see there and how much of an impact could it have? I'll bring up two potential legal pathways here that that could be something to watch this year. Tennessee last month filed sort of a first of its kind lawsuit against BlackRock, alleging that they are deceiving consumers over how they use ESG factors in their business decisions. And then also in Oklahoma, so these are two you know Republican states, Oklahoma is locked in a legal dispute between its pension board and its state treasurer over whether or not to continue doing business with firms like BlackRock that have sort of promoted using ESG as sort of a lens to look through their investments. Both of those lawsuits could chart sort of an interesting course as to how companies are able to consider ESG, how Republicans also balance sort of taking on an aggressive ESG tone that that might resonate with its base and sort of safe face there, but also try to walk this tightrope of minimizing any financial harm to retirees and taxpayers that could definitely result when you sort of restrict the market and weed out firms because you frankly don't like them. Those are two lawsuits to watch that could give some indication as to how this issue continues to unfold. Also, Shell has joined BP in complaining to federal regulators that Venture Global LNG is failing to ship liquefied natural gas to promised customers from a Louisiana terminal. The oil and gas companies say that Venture Global is violating its contracts by selling its cargoes on the more profitable spot market instead of supplying customers under long-term contracts. Venture Global said it is following regulations, and it accused the two oil and gas companies of trying to get the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission to exert pressure into what they say is really a business dispute. For more news on energy and the environment, subscribe to our free newsletter at politico.com slash power dash switch and subscribe to Politico Pro to read our morning energy newsletter. Some of the music in today's show was composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Nirmal Malaikal is the podcast producer. Kara Tabor and Annie Reese edited the podcast this week. Our editors are Matt Daly and Gloria Gonzalez. And that's our show. I'm Catherine Morehouse, and we'll see you back on Monday. Today's program support is provided by Chevron. Progress means producing renewable fuels for today's fleets. Chevron intends to grow their renewable fuels production capacity to 100,000 barrels per day by 2030. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash renewable fuels.